This is madness. Madness. Was I, was I supposed to respond? Yeah, yes, of course. Well, you normally start with you. You say things. You don't. You don't normally pass it to me like that. So. Yeah, but it's off the cuff. This is what we do. The whole show's off the cuff. Well, you know. You gotta. You gotta tell me beforehand. I guess it's not off. No. The cuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you gotta tell me beforehand when you want me to be yeah. off the cuff. Well, well, welcome to Grunkle's Ribbing Podcast, where where we rib each other. You're gonna get ribbed, kid. Yeah, that's. Uh... Uh, I think my nephew was created when God took out my rib and made mm. nephew from Grunkle. That's true. That is in the, the, the Grunkle pantheon of lore, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Just, just read up before you listen, okay? Mm-hmm. You know, because we're not going to yeah. explain anything to you. This podcast has a lot of homework, you know? It's oh, yeah. A homework Re- Required podcast. readings. Yeah, yeah required readings. Yeah. Essential readings. Yeah, right. because we, we're watching movies here. This is the nephew. That is the Grunkle. This is, uh, here's our podcast where we talk about movies. What movies are we talking about, Grunkle? Can you tell me? Um, can you ask nicely? No, I can't. This is madness. There we go, full circle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, we watched, uh, the reason I'm saying this is madness is well because we watched Redline, and that's not the reason why. We watched 300, and bingo, there it is. And we watched um, some lame movie by some lame director called Hanagatami. Yeah. Here here I am going like, what, like four for six Japanese movies in uh, June movie month? Wow, yeah. Something like that, right? You Drive can't my be car, stopped. Hanagatami, Redline. There was another one, wasn't there? Right? I bet you watch uh, anime in Japanese oh, without... Without without subtitles or dub, you can just like. Oh no, I don't do that. I'm not. I'm not quite there. I bet you can just understand what everyone's saying. No, I can't. I'm not that skilled. Um, but what I am skilled at is watching movies and talking about them with you, my grandpa. I don't know and, if either of us are really even skilled at that, you know, we're just... Yeah, little... we're based. We're fucking based. Ooh, don't yeah. Don't let the haters say otherwise, okay? Oh, shit. But... The first, the first film we're talking about on the Based Baseheads podcast is uh, Redline by Takeshi Koike. And I misspoke at the end of last episode. You did? I said that Redline uh, bankrupted the studio that produced it. But that is not true. It only allegedly nearly bankrupted it. Um, a lot of the history of this film has to do with its constant setbacks as it was originally slated to be uh, produced and developed in two years and ended up taking seven. So, yeah. But as you watch uh, Redline, the the time and effort put into this movie shows immediately. Um, The film features over 100,000 hand-drawn frames and they all look stunning and sexy. Uh, we are transported into a world not too unlike our own, but one that has a broken down galactic transportation and travel. And we have intermingled with the many different alien species that exist beyond our atmosphere. And uh, in Redline, we, we follow um, JP, 
who is a race car driver, as he uh, races in Redline, which is this big, dangerous, exciting car race. And yeah, this movie is um, not too unlike uh, another Japanese series, Speed Racer, that is maybe a little bit more well-known. But this is uh, far less tongue-in-cheek than Speed Racer. And... A lot of the um, oomph in this film for me comes from its incredible world building. There's so many just random little shots of characters and settings, you know, doing this and that. There's so many wacky people who pop up all the time, but it all feels still very grounded. And that this film, from a narrative perspective, is so focused on the story of a race, you know, which is, you know, maybe a story we're pretty familiar with. Underdog wants to win the big race, but how can he do it? Oh, he needs the help of his sweetheart, but uh uh-oh, she's a fellow racer too. Oh, but which one of them can really win? But then there's the big bad guy who always wins all the races. And then this particular running of Red Line is further complicated by the fact that it is being hosted on Robo World. And the Robo World residents um, do not take kindly to outsiders coming to Robo World and are attempting to stop the race with every bit of violence and warfare they can muster. And so, yeah, you know, this is uh, an action movie through and through, I would say, because We got high-speed car chases. We got big boom explosions. We got bioweapons, you know. We got nitro. This shit is like Hot Wheels, the anime. And it's it's great. I'm here for it. Yeah, I'm I'm here for all the Hot Wheels stuff, certainly. I this is a film that has animation like i've never seen before it was Mm. immediately like whoa the like the frame rate for matched with the with the style and the yeah the world building the designs like this is genuinely one of the most stunningly animated films i've i've ever seen hands down um but i i kind of found everything else pretty meat and potatoes uh i found it in terms of uh narrative uh pretty like riskless and um i don't know there weren't enough stakes like i didn't really feel invested in any sure anything in but like if this movie had been just racing <laughs> like just racing i think that would have been awesome but obviously that's extremely risky and right. uh you know nobody's gonna make that movie um right. you like yeah. watching 24 frames you know of, yeah like, yeah yeah exactly so course you want to suggest the racing people right. need a a little more uh, you know i i think that the fact that it is so meat and potatoes kind of allows the animation to shine and that it isn't really about the writing as much as it is about the world building and that this this film as a i don't know an exercise in craft it kind of right. like reeks of look what i can do you know what i mean right i just like when when it's like that i almost wish when you're playing those kind of games, you almost, it's almost better for me if you forego plot entirely, like just drop it if you're going to mm-hmm. do something like that. Sure. Or not plot necessarily, but sort of these, and it's, you know, archetypal sort of characters and narratives don't have to be generic, right? They can be done really well. Um, but I thought, I thought that maybe, I don't know, that the designs certainly weren't generic, even if no, no. the tropes were. Of course not. 
No, the the designs are as far from generic as as you get. Um, but yeah, I just like the, JP was his name, right? Like mm-hmm. him as a him as our lead, like you know, and he's sort of that archetypal kind of you know almost uh, blank slate cool guy, but uh, he you know has a certain seedy past that he kind of has to redeem in a way and romantic subplot kind of stuff and it's it's none of it's offensively bad of course like like nothing nothing reeks of um i don't know incompetency of course or yeah or, the level of craft is high yeah yeah but just like um yeah like during you know even scenes during the race that are supposed to be you know incredibly high stakes i'm just like wow this is gorgeous instead of like whoa like whoa i'm i'm invested in these characters and what's hmm. going to happen to them because i didn't feel right. any of that yeah i i do think that um i don't yeah the film is maybe a little too short to completely suck you into that but i don't know i just think that the stakes of a race are just inherently present to a certain extent that that the danger of the situation, I don't know, it gets me to lean in. And another thing I would like to note is that it seems like most of your uh, gripes with this film kind of have to do with the writing. And you and I watched um, the dub of this film, and oh, not yeah. the sub. Um, and, you know, there's a, a constant debate between dubs and subs. Um, but the, the, ge- the general principle being that you want to watch something subtitled because that has the original voice actors who worked with the original team and, you know, had, had a closer relationship to the story. And that oftentimes that things are translated in ways to fit in a, an Americanized version of the same context, whereas... To us, you know, people who have seen a lot of things and, you know, like people who are familiar with these tropes are going to recognize and maybe stick their tongue out. So uh, next time I watch this film, I certainly want to watch the sub. The dub is just more widely available. And as we mentioned before, this movie is just so sexy. You just want to be able to look at it and not have to worry about split attention, which can sometimes happen with subs. Yeah, well, I don't know. I, you know, I, I like. I think my gripes with the writing are less in the specifics and more of, like, the writing of the the narr- the overall writing. Because um, I, you know, I didn't really have much issues with like dialogue, and I don't, you know, I don't. The way that uh, the writing of the overall narrative isn't very much affected by sub or dub at all. But yeah, we did. Uh, we did do the old double maru, which which is pretty pretty rare for for both of us but it uh i didn't and i also didn't have any problems with any of the voice actors um because oftentimes of course dubs can just feature the (laughs) most unfortunate of um choices like just i don't know uh, producers uh, not yeah. wanting it's, to... It's hard to pull an example, but there's um, there's a lot of dubs that are kind of atrocious. And then it's just I... very clearly like the voice actors were put in a studio with the script in front of them and had no real idea of what they right. were making. I didn't see the show, but I, I saw clips of the Squid Games dub. And oh my God, have you seen yeah. those? No, wow. I've, I've seen clips. I've seen clips. I yeah. watched it. Subbed. And even then, like, this is something we've talked about before, is that 
subtitles are often inaccurate and right. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you know, it's it's, yeah. it's it's I don't. It's probably almost always the same translation. I imagine. Hmm. Like the same source material. No, like subs, the sub version and a dub version. I yeah, I imagine. No, it, it isn't always. It isn't always. Oh, really? Yeah, that's interesting. Because because oftentimes they're made by two totally different people. Oh wow, they like outsource that shit differently. Yeah, whereas like whereas like the because yeah yeah because the sub sub versions of stuff comes out way way sooner because they can just take the right, right. the Japanese version of it and then just have somebody translate everything and type it up and then put it on the episode and then it's good to go whereas the dub you have to wait until it's out and then you get the translation and then you get people in the studio and then it goes out you know but they don't just like take what's written already for the sub to do the things for dubs most of the time because it's it could be done by two totally different studios because because localization you know is like a whole is a whole rigmarole yeah Um, that's interesting I'm sure sometimes it is the same, but yeah. Right, sometimes I'm sure, but I yeah, that's I not doubt the standard. Interesting, yeah. Most of the time. Um, another b- sort of this wasn't really an issue with the film, but it's <laughs> and like you know the villains in this film, you know, it is sort of this autocratic, very police, starship military troopers, state. But like, I, I the, thought this was more effective at what Starship Troopers was trying to say than Starship no, Troopers. It's just like the the villains are just like people that don't want this hyper invasive violent race done on their homeworld, you know. Yeah, like, but it's kind of like I don't know. It's like a cultural thing, you know what I mean? Like, how would the world react if like a country protested the World Cup coming there or the Olympics? Yeah, but the World Cup there. isn't like <laughs> exploding and killing. What do you mean? What do you, at these at these fucking sports events all the time? People. Or will go out into the streets and cause havoc and mayhem and violence because of the outcome of a sports game. Well, just because this. No, I'm not talking. But I'm talking about the the literal sport of the thing is like explosive death racing, and they don't even like ask Robo World, "Hey, can we like do your race there?" And it's you know, and it's they're like, "No, we don't want that," and they do it anyway. And it's like this. Uh, I mean, you know, they do enough to paint them as actual villains, but it's just sort of um backwards to me that these these villains are just these people that don't want their world invaded yeah but they're like dictators but i guess classic grunkle right siding with those guys whoa (laughs) hey now (laughs) siding with dictators that's a jump okay Uh, yeah it is a jump empires maybe yeah you know what fine you know whatever autocratic grunkle Push him down the stairs. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think that ultimately this film is not going to like be your favorite movie, probably. Right. It's, it's probably going to be a movie you love a lot. Certainly not this autocratic, loving, dictatorial, fascist's favorite right. movie, because that's exactly. what I am. Right, of course, of course. Um, and this, I don't know, this movie to me was just was really solid through and through like the craftsmanship here is sound it is a movie i will enjoy watching again in the future for sure it is certainly you know maybe maybe not the densest in terms of its viewing experience from like i don't know like a like a way that like a movie can really change the way you see the world or think right. about the world. Like this movie is, is not going to do that for you, no. but it's going to be a damn good time and it's going to look great. And you're going to be like, Ooh, 
Redline, she's sexy. Get me her number. Yeah, have you um seen any other films from this filmmaker or animation studio? Like, do his other films look like this? Sure. Um, so this guy had a very interesting career in that he worked at uh, the, the production studio is Madhouse, which is one of the, the bigger studios in Japan, actually. Um, Madhouse produced a lot of the work of uh, a member of my filmmaker pantheon, Satoshi Kon, um, as well as a number of television series. Um, yeah, so they're an animation studio in Japan. And so he was working as an animator there for a while. But then this was his directed directorial debut and because he had that history with that with madhouse um and like there was a lot of tension around redline being made as i mentioned before they went way over budget and way over schedule and it just didn't really like him he wasn't going to stay at that company very much longer after that. right but then he got an offer from oh i cannot remember the name of the producer but Basically, she was like, we want you to come make uh, Lupin the Third movies. And so he's made three or four of those. Lupin the Third being kind of like a, yeah, like a madcap kind of caper, like serialized media that's in Japan, you know, kind of like, I don't know, not quite like Disney necessarily, but uh, I don't know, maybe uh, like Mr. Bean meets James Bond kind of vibe. Oh, yeah. Uh, Johnny England. Yeah, there you go. Um, Is that what that... What's that uh, Rowan Atkinson character? Yeah. That's, yeah, Johnny English. Yeah. Johnny English. I don't know. I don't, I'm, not a, I'm not a Rowan stan. Yeah, me neither, but I know these things. Well, you cause... can name drop all of his roles, apparently. <laughs> I'm just informed. I did the required reading. Mm, I did not. Uh, yeah, clearly. And part of this week's required watching was, um, well, this is where, you know, maybe you can say that I'm not a fascist pig because I didn't like yeah. this movie. Yeah, I'm going to let you take care of this one. I'll be back in like 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, can you, can, can you take this one? Because I don't want to own up to this being my pick. Well, uh, no, we watched. Grunk, uh, bro. What, what was that? Grunks to grunk, you know, like... Oh, eat grunks to grunk, yes. It it really does. But we watched the 2006 epic. Masterpiece. Masterpiece. 300 from good old boy toy Zach. No, boy toy, that doesn't make sense. Boy toy, yep. (laughs) No, no, no. Uh My nephew said it. I I stopped before I said it. My nephew said it. Oh, yeah. You said to me before we started recording... Elliot, I am just dying to cover Zack Snyder <laughs> no. peanut butter and lick it off myself like a hungry dog. Hell you said yeah. those words. That would make, that would definitely push my my grunkle autocratic ass over the over the line. Mm. Um, mm, yeah. But no, uh, we watched yeah the film Three Hundred. I'm sure everyone's familiar with it. It is a a. Epic dramatization of the Battle of Thermopylae uh, between King Leonidas and his small Greek alliance. Uh, this film will make you think it was just made up of 300 Spartans and some uh, and some other guys. I forget which ones. Uh, thespians, I believe. Um, and between yeah them and the Achaemenid uh, Persians under Xerxes. And 
it's just like one of the most outright hideous right-wing films I've ever seen. Uh, it's it's a film that you know I I saw a good handful of times probably in middle school because I thought it was epic, you know. Uh, and I liked it then, you know. I thought 300 was a cool ass movie. Yeah, probably like eighth grade around then. And I sort of now in my young adulthood have sort of found a certain, uh, I don't know, type of like hideous camp, incredibly enjoyable. And so I was like, you know what? I bet 300 in its like secretly bizarre aesthetics, like could be sort of like camp epic. But it's not. It's just awful. It's just one of the worst things I've seen in a long time. And uh, yeah, just like this film is alt right. Not alt right, but right wing. Yeah. Oh. No, it's not alt right. If I said alt right, that's a mistake. It's just like very anti-immigrant, very xenophobic. Um, The depictions of the Persians here, who they countlessly like refer to as like all peoples of Asia. Um. It's, it's never just like Persia. It's like uh, the Persian Empire with all these different Asian mystical beasts and trolls yeah. and goblins. No, it's bad. It's bad. Um, half half the Persians look like, like orcs from yeah. Lord of the Rings. It is not a good look. And one of the last, like, I think maybe the very last line of the film is like, we have to keep these mystical Asian hordes out of like our western world we that's do. like the, the closing they're, they're sentiment for us, don't you know okay you can't be calling me the autocrat and then making jokes like that <laughs> i guess not i um, guess not but yeah just like uh grotesque it's a terrible film and like um it's it's funny because some of the some of the special effects did really hold up for me and some of it's like very unironically like painterly and like uh mm. this sort it's of a very interesting visual tone is probably yeah. the best thing going for this movie the but... fake blood though is irredeemable too maybe more irredeemable than the racism is the blood effects in this oh movie. my god <laughs> <laughs> um for me this movie was like a bad episode of deadliest warrior Oh, yeah. Very Spike TV. For those of you, yeah, who aren't familiar, Deadliest Warrior aired on Spike TV, took two, I don't know um, if you would call them like infantry or like two types of warriors, I guess you could say, and pit them against each other and got experts in both of them to come in and test their weapons. And they do these ridiculous faux scientific tests. And... They run a bunch of simulations to see who would win the most times if these two warriors were to actually fight. So this was kind of like, ooh, the the sturdy Spartans versus the that was pretty good. Persians. That's pretty good. <laughs> and I think that that opinion is only reinforced by the fact that the narrator for Deadliest Warrior right. appears in this film. You know, yeah. he, he is our narrator for this film as well. And so those two things overlapping... Um, yeah, we're certainly like, uh, you couldn't get it out of your head. Yeah, it's so, funny. I, ha- I have here in my notes, Spike TV, the movie. <laughs> yeah, but Deadliest Warrior is actually high camp. Yeah, that I haven't seen that show in a long time, but that's got to be like... Oh, it's like, bad. It's that's got to be fun, like, bong watching, you know? Like, with bong the bros. watching? <laughs> bong watch with the bros. 
Oh my god. Yeah, probably. It's uh it's up there in terms of just like ridiculous masculinity that yeah. is like harmless 80% of the time. Right. And then that other 20% of the time is like, you know, there's just... definitely some racism in that show. Oh, so. for sure, for sure. But just because, yeah, of the groups they pit against each other right. at different points. And then yeah, the little like fictionalized like vignette fake simulation depictions yeah. that they yeah, yeah that's epic, when the epic, shit epic. really comes out this it, that has higher production quality than, no maybe not maybe not but uh yeah i don't know for me when the this is sparta moment happened like 15 10 minutes in uh-huh. like i i had never seen this movie before oh when you that had happened, never seen it right no I, I i yeah yeah thanks crunkle you that's keep, crazy no, yeah, you keep making sure I we're scraping the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> it's my like, it's my obligation. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. But yeah, when the this is Sparta kick happened, like ten minutes into the movie, I was like, oh no, just my my gut dropped for some reason. Yeah. That yeah. Also, another completely atrocious thing about this film is all the homophobia especially like i just i just like can't like movies that fail the bestel test and are also so actively homophobic it's like we get it you're like really trying to convince us that that isn't the case okay zach okay buddy like yeah I wonder if- you're not gay definitely right. not because god forbid being being called gay uh-oh and yeah for all the gay bashing that's in this movie because of um you know, it, it, it's just funny that the ancient Greeks were known for their practice of homosexuality, whether um, whether exaggerated or not. Um, and like like the the community that was probably the most homosexual would have been Sparta. That that this but this this community that champions the male body and honor and fighting and brotherhood and love for your fellow soldier and these soldiers would go out on you know missions for years and years like they're banging they are banging oh yeah and the the film the film is incredibly homoerotic and it's interesting that like that because i mean what what is there besides king leonidas I i guess it's like you can't stomach the homoeroticism unless you get those couple digs in there you know what I mean? It's like, oh, see, see, mm, yeah. Nobody can say we're gay for making this movie because we made fun of gay people. Go us. What is it. there besides that? There's a throwaway throwaway line when King Leonidas is. Um, they're talking about like whether or not Athens will join the fight against the Persians, and he's like, oh, they, you know, they're too busy with them and their boy loving. Uh, there, there were others. Was I supposed to be taking notes? No, I was just. I'm just. <laughs> I'm just no, curious there was there was a couple other lines on the battlefield, um, and yeah, like I don't know, just like the constant like implication of like this is what a real man is, you know, right, because right, at, right. at time that it's like depicted as this like honorable thing they're doing when really what they're doing is dying for pride when when there was the the, the way the film depicts it um, that there was just this little bit of political snafu and here and there that if they could have just sorted that out first they could have then dealt with the versions altogether and used the entire army um but that that this that the king leonidas had to just go and do it himself as soon as he felt like doing it like i don't know it just is 
a terrible depiction of leadership, a terrible depiction of oh, yeah. Greek myth, a terrible depiction of war, of humanity. Yeah, yeah total um, glorification. Just a bad war. movie. Yeah. yeah. It's got a, it does have sort of a cool, like, uh, like video game structure of like this idea of like wave after wave of increasingly like difficult and um, more and, grotesque like, enemies. Interesting enemies. Yeah. It's just like the way that it's applied is abhorrent. I mean, yeah, I think that maybe the, that, the, you know, because I always think about what is the best medium for a story, you know, like when we were talking about the chilling, the killing of a Chinese bookie, and I was like, I feel like this would have been better as a video game. Maybe right. 300 would have been better as a video game. Oh, you know, yeah, like certainly. You know, because doing it like this, it just... Because my, my nephew wants to actively kill the hordes of Asian uh orcs instead of just watching well did i say which perspective i wanted to play mm -hmm. from we all know no i'm just kidding well, um, i mean like i don't know they were also an empire attempting yeah, to conquer the world you know yeah i think yeah, yeah. i think in 2022 we've landed on the idea empire is bad you know yeah. don't want to no. conquer people people no. shouldn't be conquered they should no. live their lives yeah i think we can well you know if you if you if you ask my nephew you'd say i disagree with that but no i i i, I actually do agree with that mm -hmm. yeah. believe it or not but yeah um i'm sorry i made you watch this for the first time it's That's just okay. a gross nationalist uh war glorifying racist uh right-wing ideology packed into sometimes unironically beautiful and epic but very infrequently a mess of a of a goddamn movie mm, jack please yeah exactly um but our dessert is looking good mm, yeah dessert our yummy final film of this week is a dessert of flowers and uh weaved reeds as we watched Nobuhiko, is that how you say? No, Nobuhiko. Nobuhiko, oh yeah. Nobuhiko Obayashi's Flower Basket, Hanagatami. Um, a film from the year 2017, though conceived as far back as the 70s. This film is an adaptation of a novel um, about the lives of six different children who are well i guess they're teenagers you know adolescents this is very much a coming of age story and obayashi is very much um concerned with his in his storytelling about um future generations and the youth and it is all so very present in this a film he made um in the midst of a cancer diagnosis this is his pent ultimate film his final film the labyrinth of cinema coming out uh, about a year and a half, two years later. Um, he made while undergoing cancer treatment. Real so Tarkovsky, a, uh, motherfucker. Yeah, for real. For real, yeah. Up, up until the final minutes, you know, creating, trying to tell a story. And I've had teachers say before, and this is something I constantly agree and disagree with, um, that people can only really ever tell one story. Oh yeah, that's and, uh, Alain René quote. There you go. 
Alon Renee said, people can only tell one story. And it's just the many different ways you can possibly tell that story. And I think that may be true of Obayashi, um, at least of the films of his that I have seen, um, that he is very much concerned with um, how the atom bomb affected generations of Japan and how it really is like such a huge point in their history economically from uh economically politically culturally environmentally you know everything really changed and while that isn't always immediately apparent in his work um at least you know concerning uh something like house his best known work um on you know um, multiple watches of that, it really comes to light. And yeah. that he is so much concerned with war, and the way war disturbs home life. We never see war in this movie, really. We only see, um, at most, soldiers dro- marching off to war and a, uh, a mere glimpse of a mushroom cloud, as depicted on uh, Hanagatami's letterboxed page. <laughs> um, you know, shout out to, to letterboxed what are they they called tableaus yeah shout out to letterboxed tableaus am i right grunkle um yeah shout out hashtag uh clapping them cheeks oh yeah hashtag oh <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, geez man you gotta save but yeah save to me get into the actual story of hanagatami um it follows uh, a group of children, namely um, Toshihiko, who has um, recently moved to Japan from Amsterdam, though he is Japanese himself. Um, his father is in the military, so it seems he's traveling quite a bit, but he has returned to Japan to um, attend university. And as he, you know, um, becomes accustomed to this new town, he meets different people, and then becomes involved with their lives. And um, yeah, you know, it's kind of classical teenager shit. They're all half in love with each other. Um, There's this really awesome moment about halfway through the movie where I was just kind of musing to myself, wow, these kids are like in this kind of weird fucked up love hexagon. And then the next shot was two of them about to kiss standing in front of a hexagon shaped window with the moon peeking out. And I was just like, wow. Oh, mama. Like just when, I don't know, just those two, that realization lining up with that visual was just, was just really special. You know, I'm jealous you had that. Yeah. It was a very dumb to have something like that. Yeah. Sorry, Grunkle. What can I do? Try going to film school, maybe. Oh, jeez. I can't afford it. Oh, that's a lie. You're in film school as we speak. Okay. You're in class right now. F- f- studying film at Hunter College is not going to film school. Those are two <laughs> different things. Let me yeah, tell you. Hunter that. College is coming for you now after you say that. Yeah, sorry, professors. All my professors that are reading, listening to this after I was like, <laughs> please listen to my podcast. Did you tell your professors about this? I've told, you know, one or two. The ones you like. No, the ones I hate. Ooh, yeah, nice. Get that criticism. But, oh, I was going to say that the artist I would most readily compare Obayashi to is Pablo Picasso. 
because I think if somebody went to Obayashi and said, hey, make seven samurai, he could make seven samurai as beautifully, as well told, as classically as Akira Kurosawa. But what he does to film is that he does what Picasso does to art. You know, he takes your expectations of how things are supposed to line up and in his own masterful way, you know, recut them, recombobulate them. There's so many moments in this film that are um, just the same shot from like a mirrored image, just coming, going back and forth almost. And just so many motifs and visual things that would almost feel like they're like, inserted in almost a heavy-handed way under the under the the work of a different uh, a, a less capable craftsman but but obiyashi just makes it work somehow yeah it almost feels like a collage or mixed media when yeah, he makes sure. films especially his his post um post popular popularization of green screen films really feel like these like mixed media almost mm-hmm. like arts and crafts projects and he's constantly breaking the the quote unquote rules you know speaking of film school you know we have things like the 180 rule and eyelines and headspace and all these things he's just constantly playing with to sort of you know it's always you know, sometimes it's just to sort of sit in moments differently and to experience the the filmic uh, reality in a way that never takes you out. It's not, it's, you know, it's almost like, you know, when, when French New Wave breaks the rules with jump cuts and all that kind of jazz, it's almost to remind the viewer that you're watching a film and to sort of point out the... Um, the form and the medium, but when Obayashi sort of breaks the rules, it almost sucks you in further um, mm-hmm. to a, to a very to the to the specifics of a moment because it has you. I don't know. Not considering. Well, no, I guess he does, he gets pretty meta, and you do consider the film a lot actually that it is a film. So you know maybe he is doing a little bit of that intentional, like you are watching a film because. Um, you I don't know, know f- certainly more so in Labyrinth of Cinema, which yeah, yeah, know, yeah. takes similar stylistic approaches. But for me personally, I was very sucked into the right. world of this film. Yeah, yeah, and me too. Yeah, the, the world he creates. Um, his use of light is maybe oh. my favorite out of like all filmmakers. Yeah. And like the way he also captures light in like really ugly ways too. Like there are like moments where it's like, wow, like this kind of looks almost ugly. Like the way this scene is lit, like how much of these people's yeah. faces you can see yeah. in such a full frontal way. But then the next scene is just this person walking through a forest during the sunset and the island, which is a central image, is just perfectly tucked away in the corner. And you're like, wait a second, like he could, he could do it like right. this every scene if he wanted to, but that he is making just such specific and intense choices yeah very uh cinematically disorienting yeah for sure in a great beautiful just stunning way like he makes them like no other baby Mm. and also you know it's like it's all playing into this very like sentimental um yeah i don't know but, uh, well, it's, it's like it, there's this. It's it's sentimental for the innocence that was right, yeah. that was lost Just, right. during Exploded the atomic away. bomb. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like how that innocence is then 
essentially mirrored against the innocence of youth and yeah. how putting those two things in tandem really right. brings brings out you know the contrast in the other yeah. and, and losing both yeah losing both simultaneously yeah you know, this would uh, this would pair very well with films that we've watched before grave of the fireflies uh, in particular but also like army of shadows and um World War II movies, baby. We love them. Yeah, Jacko. And well, just and specifically, um, what war does to a national psyche, and not not focusing at all on battles or you know the carnage or the mechanization of warfare, but propagandistic achievements. Right. Yeah. Focusing on the the trauma not felt by those fighting it, but felt by those um, at home that have to still deal with the consequences. Um, Families are are ruined and broken apart and found family. There's a lot of found family in this film. Mm. Um, Yeah. It becomes like a found family of six. These like weird misfits because they're all, they're all so different and so strange and like uh, are typically so at times. Um, Yeah. But yeah, another thing I feel like we haven't really mentioned too, too much is that this film is an adaptation of a novel and that the novel itself appears in this movie and like how there's these constant references to other works of art. And so it's just so interesting that, yeah, that that this is like a a pure adaptation. You know, it's not it's not just translating the book to the movie. It's trans. It's taking the book recontextualizing it with the things he wants to play with you know bringing bringing it all together having it all bubble to the surface there's a line in the film when a character asks like will it be okay to read edgar Allan poe when we go to war with america and the character replies uh art should have no borders and that sort of statement speaks to both geographic borders and like art should have no borders in terms of you know medium and in terms of what um in terms yeah intertextual and uh uh borders and um borders uh you know metaphysical borders and and yeah it's just like obayashi is clearly somebody that understands um how art plays itself and plays off of other pieces and mediums and his sort of work is the culmination as a lot of you know as as film is in in its essence a culmination of arts that preceded it and uh arts that you know sort of exist at the same time and and you know paying it forward uh, in a lot of ways and he's he's pretty cool yeah recently i've been thinking a lot about um i don't know the purpose of art i suppose and to me it's largely about what we leave for other people um, so that they don't forget and um, I think that that Obayashi really really captures something an experience uh, a feeling a fear um, something that's really deeply human um, and really deeply personal that uh, we should be yeah very grateful to have his works yeah I think I think I think art exists primarily so that we can talk about it on this podcast, actually. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. To dull away the time yeah. until our own crumbling decay. Ooh. Can't wait for that. Yeah.
Well, you know, you sound like you could wait a little longer, maybe. Uh, you know, no, nephew, no need to rush it. No need to speed run anything. Uh, nephew, pass me my reading glasses. Yeah, pass you the reading glasses. I need to change my will. I need to write you out of it. Um, okay, Grunkola, uh, here you go. Uh, yeah. yeah uh, these don't just... work. Mm, oh, no, they're the wrong prescription. <laughs> oh, no, Grunkle, you just need to take your glaucoma uh, medication. Oh, no, Grunkle, you don't want to sign there. You want to sign here. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Grunkle. Oh, okay. Mm. We Sorry. actually um, are calling you about your car's extended warranty. Oh, I, which one? Uh, your, your 92 Camaro. <laughs> <laughs> Grunkle does not drive a 92 Camaro. She's sure not cool does. enough. Why not? No, he's not cool. You think I know cars? I don't know why that came to my mind. Yeah, well, I'm going to look up what a 92 Camaro looks like right now. And, uh, let's do it. Let's see. Is and cool? I'm going to tell our listeners oh, it's badass. I don't drive that. what we're listening to next week. Yeah, yeah. You do that while I just look at images of cars. Yeah, you just jerk off to that car really quick. And yeah. I will tell the listeners... Um, that they need to join us next Monday for the Teenage Awards Music International. What the fuck? That doesn't even make sense. No. Teenage Awards Music International show. The Tammy show. Tammy show. Next, we're watching Paul Schrader's Nishima, A Life in Four Chapters. And Ew. finally, we are, we are watching... Uh, I, I, can't, I don't even know if I have the heart to tell them. I, I think I think this might be a let's not and say we did kind of angle, but we're watching Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And I did say that correctly. We're watching Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. For if we were listening to Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band and speaking upon it, I would have no hesitation. But here we are watching Peter Frampton and his monkey ass monkeys as Billy Shears and the rest of the gang in this fictionalized, I don't know, is it a jukebox musical? Yeah, a jukebox musical, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I'm interested to talk about jukebox musicals. I have a lot of thoughts on those. I think they're mm. terribly done historically, but they oh, have yeah. a lot of potential. Have you seen the Moulin Rouge film? Don't ask me that. Don't, Why? Don't ask me that. Why? Because I hate Baz Luhrmann. Oh, wow, really? Yes! Why? Why? See, like, Boz Lerman's like the cool Zack Snyder, you know? Oh, my God. We'll see you next week. I like Boz Lerman movies. All right, bye.